keeps his promises, right? The miracle of modern Israel. As we've already said throughout the, the service today, we're not just celebrating Mother's Day, but we are celebrating Israeli Independence Day, which falls this week on Thursday, May the 12th, according to the Jewish calendar. Just to explain this, because some people say, isn't it May the 14th? It's May 14th, according to the Gregorian calendar. It was May 14, 1948. But the Jewish date falls this year on Thursday, May the 12th. Uh, You could sell it twice, celebrate twice if you'd like to. But when we see the modern state of Israel that assures us that God does indeed keep his promises, which again is the title of my message today. And as I thought about Mother's Day and Yom HaAzma'ut, Uh, I reflected on how women were an integral part of the founding of the modern state of Israel. Uh, A lot of you know I teach or have taught a class on the role of women in Judaism at the King's University. Uh, And the last session is on modern Israel and uh, Jewish uh, women in the modern era. And it is just amazing if you've never read anything about Jewish women and their role uh, in the founding of the modern state of Israel, they were fierce fighters. Don't mess with mama, right? And they were some of the bravest and fiercest soldiers in the War of Independence. And David Ben-Gurion said this. He was the first prime minister, and he's the one, I'm going to read here in a few minutes, who read that Declaration of Independence. But he said this about the need for women to fight in the war. He says, since you rightly believe that the security of the state must be pursued night and day, I want you to know that security will not exist if our nation's women do not know how to fight. We are few and our enemies are many. If heaven forbid a war falls upon us, so the men will go to fight the enemy, and if heaven forbid the women who are protecting their children at home do not know how to use a weapon, what will be their end if the enemy falls upon them? And with that, that was, uh, you know, women, as I said, were a, a very integral part of that war of independence. And they've always served in the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force. Uh, it's mandatory for both male and female. Uh, there was a period of time where women, uh, I mean, at the beginning here in 1948, they were in combat. There was a period of time until around 1990s where women uh, were not as active in combat uh, as they are uh, uh, now, they are back into the combat, but they've always been an integral part of what takes place. And then I just wanted to share the words of one of the most famous of these women uh, uh, at the uh, beginning of the foundation of, of Israel, that is Golda Meir, who we know uh, became the first and only female prime minister of Israel. And these are her words about signing that Declaration of Independence. Listen to her reflection. Her name, at that point, she wasn't married yet, was Golda Meyerson, walked, uh, awaited to step up to the podium to add her name to Israel's Declaration of Independence. Her thoughts went back to the legend she learned as a child in Milwaukee, and she writes this in her memoirs. You want a good book to read? Read a book about Golda Meir. Any of these founding leaders, Ben-Gurion, they're good books, go get a biography. But she said this, From my childhood in America, I learned about the Declaration of Independence and the geniuses who signed it. I couldn't imagine these were real people doing something real. And here I am signing it, actually signing a Declaration of Independence. 
I didn't think it was due me that I, Golda Mabovich Meyerson, deserved it, that I had lived to see this day. My hands shook. We had done it. We had brought the Jewish people into existence. Whatever price any of us would have to pay for it, we had recreated the Jewish national home. The long exile was over. Now we were a nation like other nations, masters for the first time in 20 centuries of our own destiny. All I can recall about my actual signing of the proclamation is that I was crying openly, not able even to wipe the tears from my face. David Pincus asked me why I was crying, and I said, one, because of the honor, and two, because there are people missing here who had more of a right to be here and sign. And I wept almost beyond control. She had such an integral part of the founding of that nation and later uh, became one of the, the uh, more significant uh, prime ministers that, she, uh, that Israel has ever had. So I just wanted to encourage you with that, again, as we're thinking about moms today. And as we get into the message, I just want to, I like to read uh, what happened on that day. I, I do this often because I, when I speak on Yom Ha'atzma'ut. But it was at 4 o'clock in the afternoon that Ben-Gurion called the session uh, to order, and he began to read about the establishment of the state. And um, he read through the, uh, the first 10 paragraphs, and then he came to this 11th paragraph, which says, Accordingly, we, the members of the National Council representing the Jewish people in Palestine and the World Zionist Movement, have met together in solemn assembly today, the day of termination of the British mandate for Palestine, and by virtue of the natural and historic right of the Jewish people and the resolution of the General Assembly of the United Nations, we hereby proclaim the establishment of the Jewish state in Palestine to be called Midinat Yisrael, the state of Israel. How awesome, right? And he went on to outline the principles of freedom, justice, and peace, and equal social and political rights that would be uh, to guide the state. And the last section, which called upon the Arabs to preserve peace while extending the offer of peace in good neighborliness to all neighbors, states, and their people, and all appealing to the Jewish people in diaspora to rally around the Jewish people in the land of Israel. And then these words here, which I think are so significant, when you think about the title of my message, God keeps his promises. Now, David Ben-Gurion was known to be an atheist, but I don't think he was quite as an atheist as some say, because this is what he said. With trust in the rock of Israel, we set our hand to this declaration at this session of the Provincial State Council on the soil of the homeland in the city of Tel Aviv on this Sabbath eve the 5th of Iyar, 5708, the 14th of May, 1948. How awesome. Again, after almost 2,000 years in exile, the Jewish people had their homeland. Seven and a half hours later, when the British mandate in Palestine expired at the stroke of midnight, Israel officially came into existence. It was 6 o'clock in Washington, D.C., and 11 minutes later, the White House released this statement signed by President Harry Truman, who we know was a good president because he came from Missouri. <laughs> For those who are visiting, I come from Missouri. 
But it was a good thing he was now our president. It would not have been well if the, his preceding president, FDR, had been there. He was not as favorable to the Jewish people. As Truman said, the government has been informed that a Jewish state has been proclaimed in Palestine and recognition has been requested by the provisional government thereof. The United States recognizes the provisional government as the de facto authority of the state of Israel. We were the first to do that. Guatemala was second, and Russia was the third to recognize Israel as a modern nation. How awesome, right? Unfortunately, at 525 the next day, May 15, the first Egyptian bombs fell on Tel Aviv. Syria, Jordan, Lebanon, and Iraq joined in the attack, and the War of Independence had become. And the rest is history, as they say. And we know that Israel won in that war. And so as we go to look at the word of God today, what lessons can we learn from the establishment of the modern state of Israel? And how do we apply these principles to our lives as Jewish and Gentile believers and followers of the Jewish Messiah? The first thing I would encourage each of us this morning is we must never forget that this was fulfillment of Adonai's promise given over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures. From Bereshit, throughout the Torah, the Nevi'im, and the Ketuvim, Hashem promised the Jewish people a homeland that he would provide. It began with Abraham in Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12, when God called him out of the Ur of Chaldean, saying, Get yourself out of your country, away from your kinsmen, and away from your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. I will make of you a great nation, I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you are to be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse anyone who curses you, and by all of the families of the earth, by you all the families of the earth will be blessed. And later on in Bereshit 17, he speaks these words to Abraham, I am establishing my covenant between me and you, along with your descendants after you, generation after generation, as what type of a covenant? As an everlasting covenant to be God for you and for your descendants after you. I will give you and your descendants after you what? The land in which you are now foreigners, all the land of the Kinnaan as a permanent possession, and I will be their God. So God spoke from Bereshit there, again, all the way through the rest of Tanakh, the promise of the land of Israel to belong to the Jewish people. And that is a promise that we celebrate today because God keeps his promises. 68 years ago, Israel became a nation once again. And one of the clearest prophecies speaking of the birthing of the modern state of Israel is found in Yeshiahu, Isaiah chapter 66. And through these words, we can not only rejoice in the existence of the modern state of Israel, but glean principles to apply to our personal situations to encourage us that just as God fulfilled his word to Israel as a nation, God is going to fulfill his word to you. Again, through the open worship, Rabbi Michael encouraged this. God keeps his promises. Whatever promise he has made to you, whatever promise you read in the word, that promise he will keep. And we want to be encouraged by that today. So look with me at Yeshiahu, Isaiah 66, beginning with verse 5. <clears throat> Hear the word of Adonai, you who tremble at his word. You brothers who hate, your brothers who hate you and reject you because of my name, have said, let Adonai be glorified so we can see your joy, but they will be put to shame. 
that uproar in the city, that sound from the temple, is the sound of Adonai repaying his foes what they deserve. Before going into labor, she gave birth. Before her pains came, she delivered a male child. Who ever heard of such a thing? Who has ever seen such things? Is a country born in one day? Is a nation brought forth all at once? For as soon as Sion went into labor, she brought forth her children. Would I let the baby break through and not be born? Born, asked Adonai. Would I, who causes the birth, shut the womb, asked your God? Rejoice with Yerushalayim. Be glad with her, all you who love her. Rejoice, rejoice with her, all of you who mourn for her, so that you nurse and are satisfied by her comforting breast, drinking deeply and delighting in the overflow of her glory. For Adonai says, I will spread shalom over her like a river and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried in her arm and cuddled in her lap. Like someone comforted by his mother, I will comfort you in Yerushalayim. You will be comforted. Your heart will rejoice at the sight. Your bodies will flourish like newly sprouted grass. It will be known that the hand of Adonai is with his servants. Amen and amen. So there are eight things in this passage of scripture that God uh, reveals to us about his promise to Israel. Number one, there's always someone who stands against the Jewish people. Verse 5 says, speaks of the, quote, brothers who hated and rejected the Jewish people because they were called by the name of Adonai. We know that not much has changed today. Wish we could say that after 68 years, Israel was safe in her land and without the threat of uh, war or uh, damage to her people, but we know that that's not true. We know worldwide that anti-Semitism is on, on the rise. So in 1948, they had the, the, the war. They had the Yom Kippur War uh, in the 70s. And over and over again, the war. When I was there and lived there in 1982, I spent three days in the bomb shelters as, uh, you know, the Katusha rockets were falling in from uh, southern Lebanon as what was then called the PLO uh, was attacking Israel and Israel's army went in. And again, it continues to be, you know, uh, you know I, I ran since the, these uh, messages, you know, we're going to destroy Israel all around the world, we see this. Just a few reports as I was collecting information. On May, uh, March 3rd this year, 2016, Toronto police reported that hate crimes in the city during 2015 found a decrease of 8%. However, the Jewish community remained at the top of the list of victims of hate crime. That's in Toronto. March 15, 2016, according to a report, 25% of schools in America with the activity related to the BDS, which is boycott, divest, and sanction against Israel, had one or more incidents of anti-Semitic expression compared to 33 schools, 33% of schools who had no such organization to boycott. 56% of BDS active schools had incidents that targeted Jewish students for harm. Do you hear what it's saying? It wasn't just, okay, a 
you know, peaceful demonstration against Israel. They attacked Jewish students to hurt them. Physical assault, harassment, destruction of property. In comparison, only 23% of schools that did not have this BDS had any type of similar activities. April 20th, 2016, just a few weeks ago, a report came out of Hungarian. 43% of Hungarian adults are anti-Semitic. That's almost half the nation. In March of this year, on the whiteboard outside of the American Studies Office of Purdue University appeared a swastika accompanied by an anti-Semitic slur. Lindsay Mintz, who's the director of the JCRC, the Jewish Council in Indianapolis, told uh, the Chaim Solomon Center the following. If you look at what has happened on central Indiana campuses over the last three years, this is in the Midwest, I'm from the Midwest, Okay, but there is such a rise. I mean, on our college campuses, when you see things in the news, it is very, very disturbing that our young people uh, and their attitude towards authority and leadership and, and their whole life view is very, very scary. And with that in mind, you, you can see the pictures on the news that we've been witnessing recently with the political thing. Listen to this. Across central Indiana campuses over the last three years, there have been over 50 different events and programs that not only support BDS again to, against Israel, but also delegitimize Israel and call for its destruction. When students are exposed over and over again to one perspective, it makes a complex and challenging situation seem very black and white with a good guy and a bad guy, the oppressor and the oppressed. This combination of factors creates a climate conducive to anti-Semitic acts. She goes on to say, when you're presented with only one side over and over again, you're taught that the solution to the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is for the state of Israel to cease to exist and maybe should never have existed. Do you understand? And these are the future leaders of our country that these ideas are being propagated and, and, and taught to them. So instead of discourse on the issues or political leaders, the conversations are about whether the state of Israel should exist, and if not, then all oppression would end. <coughs> so you hear what they're saying? There's always an enemy, and that enemy is very much alive in our world today. Don't think it's not. So in these campuses, this anti-Semitic, it's not just rhetoric, but it leads to, to acts of violence against Jewish students. Wednesday night at our Yom HaShoah service, I had a young man come up and say to me that, Someone had said to him, and I believe it was a teacher, I'm, I'm not 100% sure if it was a teacher, but had said that the Holocaust never happened. So he says, I, I took a class at Suffolk Community College on the Holocaust. And I, they do have a class. I had encouraged my son to possibly take that. But he says, it was, I took that class so that I could be able to answer people who tell me it didn't happen. 
Another visitor on Wednesday night came up to me and said that she was at Stony Brook. And why I'm saying this because these are our college campuses, friends. Okay, and this is where, like I said, the future leaders of this country are going to come out of, and leaders of corporations and businesses. She said, I took a class in Arabic, and there was like a break in the class, and I came back from the bathroom, and I walked into this conversation, and she says, the class was mainly Muslim. Uh, I walked into this conversation where they were talking about how the Holocaust was an invention of Jewish people. They just made it up. Now, she is Jewish. She says, I didn't reveal that I was Jewish, but I began to engage and talk to them. And there was an Irish Catholic in the class and joined in the conversation as well and trying to say, how could you think that the Holocaust was made up? Who would have these numbers tattooed on their bodies for no reason? That's why, again, for our congregation, over the last few years, we have tried to bring in a Holocaust survivor so that with our own eyes we could see. And as I encourage many of you to bring your children here, because they are going to be hearing this, that it didn't happen, and they can say, I saw the tattoo myself. You hear what I'm saying? So as she's engaging these students, she said the teacher stood by, saying nothing, just smiling, as if giving approval to what was being said. I shared last week about my son's textbook in his meteorology class, stating that Israel was the aggressor in the area of water control and, and, and holding back water from innocent people in the Gaza Strip. Again, it's this whole similar thing that with these other college campuses. Again, it blows my mind what it had to do with meteorology and climate change. It doesn't, but it had this little paragraph in there. So every student reading that, and as this woman from the JRC said, it's not giving a room for debate and dialogue to, dis, to you know, discuss the issues. It's just stating a fact and leading to the conclusion that Israel should never exist. And if Israel doesn't exist, then all the oppression would cease to be. Friends, Israel and we as a Jewish people are not lacking for enemies. It has always been, and it hasn't changed today. God understands and sees that. And as we stayed in our memorial service on Yom HaShoah, in every generation there arose someone who sought to annihilate us. But God preserved us. The second thing, Adonai had a plan for Israel. Verse 6 tells us that the uproar being heard and the sound was the sound of God Almighty himself bringing justice to his people. Not only does he see the enemies of uh, Israel, <coughs> but he will totally defeat them. As I said, and we can see this over and over again when we look at the history of the Jewish people, that is why the promise made to Abraham in Bereshit chapter 12 is so important. Adonai told Abraham that he would bless those who blessed the Jewish people and he would curse those who cursed him. 
Friends, any nation or people that stand in opposition to the state of Israel and to the Jewish people will have to contend with the creator of the heavens and the earth, Adonai Tzivaot himself. Adonai had things in motion before May 14, 1948. From Theodore Herzl and his Zionism movement to the British mandate and the rule over Israel, all were part of the grand plan of God to bring about the birth of this nation. God is always working, even though we see no evidence of it in the natural. (coughs) The third principle we can see is that God's promises defy all the odds. Verse 7 and 8, can a nation be born in a day? This is an impossible situation. In the natural, it can never happen. Yet, as we read at the beginning of this message, that is exactly what took place on May 14, 1948. After almost 2,000 years of exile, our Jewish people once again had a home. No one could have imagined it. We've shared this over and over before. If you look at biblical commentaries and textbooks before the creation of the modern state of Israel in 1948, not one biblical scholar thought that Israel would ever come into existence again. Listen to the odds. Even as Israel declared its statehood on May 14, 1948, five mechanized Arab armies invaded. The Jewish people had only 35,000 fighting men, no air force except for a small training plane out of which the pilot dropped a grenade. Okay? So how effective is that? You're dropping a grenade out of a plane. Ask Gary, okay? He was an air force pilot. The Egyptian army alone had 40,000 soldiers. Okay, it's five armies. Egyptians alone had 40,000 soldiers, 135 tanks, heavy guns, and an air force of over 60 planes. The Jordanians had the Arab Legion, which had been trained by the uh, British and led by an Englishman. Stories like this can be repeated over and over again. In fact, there's a DVD series you can get. You can probably check it out at the library against all odds. I think it's five or six uh, DVDs. And it shares stories like this of the, the birthing of the state of Israel. So a Jewish man, Ira Rappaport, whose uh, surrounded platoon on Mount Zion faced hundreds of Jordanians, and they only had 25 bullets left between them. So preparing themselves to die, they saw the Jordanians suddenly begin shouting, Abraham, Abraham, and running away. Years later, he met one of those Jordanian soldiers who told him that they ran away because they had seen a vision of Abraham defending the Jews in the sky above the young Israelis. Against all odds, God can come through. And that stories like that are repeated over and over again. The fourth principle is God never breaks his promise. That's the title of this message. Verse 9, do I bring to the point of delivery and then stop? It's a rhetorical question, and the answer is emphatically no. God is not a human who lies or a mortal who changes his mind. When he says something, he will do it. When he makes a promise, he will fulfill it. Some of you need to slap that verse from Bami Bar in your house and on your mirrors and wherever because you need to understand and know that God keeps his promise. He kept his promise to Israel, and he will keep his promise to you. 
Yehoshua, Joshua 24:45. At the end of his life, Joshua was able to say, "Not one good thing that Adonai had spoken to the household of Israel fell to happen. It all took place." The fifth principle we say you see here is that there was great joy, great joy to the response of what Adonai did. We know there was a lot of joy in the streets of Jerusalem when Israel was declared to be a nation. Even though she had to go to war immediately to defend herself, the Jewish people were exuberant that they now had their own homeland. The Webster's Dictionary describes joy as the passion or emotion excited by the expectation of good. And the expectation of good, I was sharing this with my husband uh, last week, is the definition of biblical hope. We need to have hope. When we have hope, there's joy in our heart. So I want you to understand that there was great joy when that nation was declared, even though it was a hard road ahead of them. The very next day, five armies invaded, but there was great joy in the hearts of the Jewish people because they had hope. And that's their national anthem, which my husband's going to sing at the end here, Hatik for the hope. They had a hope, and that created joy. Don't allow the enemy to steal your hope. If you have no hope, you will never have joy. But joy was there because they had hope in God fulfilling his word in their life. Number six, Adonai will bring shalom and comfort. Verse 12 and 13 portray the picture of Adonai blanketing the land and people with his shalom and with great comfort. Understanding the atrocities and hardships that have been and are continually endured by the Jewish people, the God of all comfort seeks to saturate his people with great peace and comfort their hearts, that he has not left them or forsaken them. The seventh thing that we can see here is that the Jewish people, Israel, will flourish. We know that wherever Jewish people are, they have flourished because God has blessed them. Think about it. With an estimated 7.4 billion people in the world, Jewish people comprise a 0.2%, not even 1% of the world population. So that makes this list of accomplishments, which is a small list, trust me, there's many, many more, amazing. So between 1901 and 2015, 194 Nobel Prizes were awarded to Jewish people. That's 22% of all Nobel Prizes to a group of people who make up not even half a percent of the world population. Think of all of the Intellectual men and women, Albert Einstein, all of those in, who remember the theory of relativity, E equals MC squared, and they're still trying to figure it out. Well, Albert Einstein is the one who figured it out. Others in the science, Jonas Salk, he created the first polio vaccine. Abraham Waxman coined the term antibiotics. Cosmo Funk pioneered a new field of medical research and coined the word vitamins. <coughs> Think about it. Almost everybody takes vitamins today, and it was a Jewish man who coined that term. <coughs> Simon Baruch performed the first successful operation for appendicitis. Dr. Abraham Jacoby is considered America's father of pedi- pediatricians. 
and Dr. Albert Sabin developed the first oral polio vaccine. Then you can go into business and finance. Think about it. The Levi jeans you wear. Where did jeans come from? It was a Jewish man who invented jeans. Department stores. All right, ladies. Thank God, you know, from the Abraham and Strauss to all of these famous stores, Jewish people. We know it as the baking soda, soda, Arm and Hammer, but it was a Jewish man, Armand Hammer, who was a physician and a businessman who originated the largest trade between the U.S. and Russia. Amazing, right? Then you go into the entertainment in- industry, MGM, the first studio to produce a full-length sound picture, the jazz singer, with two Jewish men. In our day, it's Steven Spielberg, right? And on and on, the list, list could go. Art, Mark Chagall, the famous Jewish poet who wrote these words. Anyone know where these come from? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses. It's on the Statue of Liberty. That was a Jewish woman who wrote that. And the nation of Israel has contributed so much in this modern world to technology. Google. We wouldn't have Google if it wasn't for an Israeli. Now, Fred shared this uh, app with me last year. It was. It's a Jewish man. A a Jewish-Israeli invention. The fax, the microphone, the gramophone. Lasers. Pacemakers and defibrillators. Israeli inventions. Stainless still. God has flourished our people. And there's so many more we could go through the accomplishments. And number eight, God says that people will know, the rest of the world will know that I am with Israel, that I'm with his people. Throughout the scriptures, Adonai continually reveals this truth. And he wants the world to know that his hand is upon the Jewish people. He had a purpose and a plan for them. They are his chosen people, and through them, all of the nations of the earth could be blessed as they were chosen to bring Messiah to us. So as I close, I want to just talk about how we apply these eight truths to our lives personally. This is a good list, so you might want to get your pen and paper and write it down. There's always someone who is against us simply because we choose to follow Adonai. Tehillim 3, 1 through 2, the psalmist says, How many enemies I have. How countless are those attacking me. How countless those who say of me, there is no salvation for him and God. You might as well get used to it. People are just not going to like you. Just because you're a child of God. There are people who are going to come against you, against God's calling on your life. They're going to try to destroy you, distract you, do whatever they can We know it's not flesh and blood that we wrestle against. The ultimate enemy is the enemy of our soul, but he uses flesh and blood. So get used to it. It's going to happen. But the second thing, God has a plan for your life. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says, For I know what plans I have in mind for you. Says Adonai, plans for well-being, not for bad things, so that you can have a hope and a future. Turn to your neighbor and says, Tell them, God has good plans for you. 
This is one of the truths that hell comes against constantly. He tries to bombard your mind thinking that you have no hope, you have no future, that your life is always going to stink and suck like it does, and there's no reason to have hope. And God says, I know the plan I have for you. I don't care how, many the, how hard the enemy comes against you, I have a plan for your life, and that plan is good. Turn to your neighbor and say, the plan is good. Someone shout, this is good preaching. I can't shout as much. I'm having difficulty breathing up here. That's the whole issue that's going on, so I'm sorry about that. Whatever this drip is going on. Number three, no matter how impossible your situation may seem. Anyone in an impossible situation? I have a few, okay? God's greater. He will defy all the odds. I don't care how impossible your situation is. God's greater. That's why we can say from Luke 18, 27, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. <coughs> Number four, God will never turn his back on you. He will always come through. Devarim, Deuteronomy 31.8, but I, Adonai, it is he who will go ahead of you. He will be with you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. So don't be afraid or downhearted. God will never turn his back on you. Never, ever, 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 ever turn his back on you. Number five, you will rejoice. When you see what the hand of God will do in your life. Tehillim 18.11, you make me know the path of life. In your presence is unbounded joy. In your right hand, eternal delight. Friends, if you get that hope in your heart, you can rejoice. But Rabbi Carol, I have an impossible situation. Israel was facing an impossible situation. She was just brand new nation. The next day, five armies came against her. But the Jewish people rejoiced because they had a hope that God had placed them there. You have to have a hope in your heart towards the situations you are facing. That hope that God has a plan, that he has a future, that he's uh, greater than any impossible situation you're facing. And that means you can rejoice. And we know that the word tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. Many of you are weak and weary and beaten down because you're not rejoicing in the midst of your situation. We know Isaiah 54 tells us, sing, O barren woman, rejoice you who never gave birth. In other words, rejoice right now where you're at in the situation, no matter how dark and impossible it seems. Rejoice now. Rabbi Carol, I can't rejoice. Yes, you can. It's a choice you make. And I'm telling you how to, to make that choice. Put hope. Get hope in your heart. Hope. Expectation of good things. Why can you expect good things? Because God told you. He has good things for you. He has a plan to prosper you. Number six, in his presence you will find great peace and comfort. Tehillim, Psalm 31, 20, in the shelter of your presence, you hide them from human plots. You conceal them in your shelter, safe from contentious tongues. It is great to know that in his presence, we can find 
safety, peace, shelter. I don't know about you, but I love when I, when I get into God's presence, whether it's here on the Shabbat, and hopefully that's not the only time we come into his presence, but when, at home, when I'm in my devotions and, and, and I am worshiping and I'm in the presence of God, it's a place like no other place. Because all of my problems, all of my worries, and yes, the rabbi has them, they don't matter. There's a peace, there's a strength in his presence. Number seven, God wants you to flourish. God created you to succeed in life. God makes no failures. Devarim 31, 12 through 13, Adonai will open for you his good treasure, the sky to give you land, your land its rain at the right seasons, and to bless what? Say it with me. Everything you undertake. Say it again. Everything you undertake. God's going to bless it. He wants you to succeed. Everything you put your hand to, he wants to bless. You will lend to many nations and not borrow. Adonai will make you the head and not the tail. You will only be above and never below. Get it in your kishkas and in your head. God wants you to succeed. He wants you to prosper. He wants you to flourish. And I'm not just talking about monetarily and things like this. I'm talking about in life in general, in every area of your life. He wants you to flourish. That's his promise. And that's what we see in Israel when it talks about that in the scriptures that in the desert, and I've shared this before having lived in Israel, the desert literally has blossomed. You can be driving along and come up. One of my favorite places in the desert is Sedei Boker, which is the kibbutz uh, Moshav where David Ben-Gurion was. And going there and walking around there and seeing these beautiful flowers in the middle of, of, of the desert. Why? Because God caused the land to flourish as he said he would, and God is going to cause you to flourish. And number eight, and we close with this, and Rabbi Michael's going to come up and lead us in the Hatikva, and then we'll go enjoy falafels. To you, God wants his presence to be manifested to the world around you. When people look at you and your life, they need to see the hand of God. Isaiah 66, 14. It will be known that the hand of Adonai is with his servants. Amen? It will be known. These are eight promises, eight truths, principles that you can apply in your life because you can look at the modern state of Israel and see how every one of these principles God fulfilled for her, and he will fulfill them in your life as well. Let's all stand as we prepare to join Rabbi Michael in the Hatikva, did we already turn this thing off? Okay. Yeah.
concludes our service. We want to invite you upstairs to enjoy a falafel lunch and fellowship. So blessings to you.